Hi, I'm Jen Stone. I live in Invercargill, New Zealand with Jordan and our lovely hen friends. You can find the Invercargill Vegan Society at www.invsoc.org.nz and you're listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. Can coexist peacefully. Vegetarian. Vegan. Yeah, well, Let's get it right. You used the word animals, but I suppose what you should have said is non human animals. Hello and welcome to episode 90 of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals, a new beginning. We've had lots of new events happening here at the Invercargill Vegan Society, with potlucks and moving into new homes and starting a new life with a significant other, and we had a trip to Gore for the Coal in the Hole Festival, which is protesting against lignite use, the foulest form of coal. Last year, For the 2012 festival, I couldn't go along and join other environmentalists, but I managed to to interview one of the lead organisers, Mr. Tim Jones, and I did that interview from the safety of my bedroom, uh, ringing him over Skype as he spoke on his cell phone, and it worked out quite well. I was warm, I was safe, and he was in the cold and the rain, (laughs) and a tent at one stage, as you'll hear here. This clip is from episode 74 of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. 74, Pigs with iPads. The rain's just started again. Um, one thing is that if there was less overuse of urea, then there would also be less demand. Not only would there be less demand for it, sorry, I'm just going to have to take a minute here and shift because I'm actually getting rain off. <laughs> yes, thank you. Okay, this, this is definitely a first for me conducting a media interview in a tent in darkness. <laughs> it's dark in the tent, not dark outside yet. Okay, so where was I? Um, yeah, so if there was less... So after that Korea, infamous zipper sound as he unzipped the tent, I just had to go to Colin the Hole Festival for 2013. And I managed to meet the great man in person, and we got to relive that iconic moment of coexisting with non-human an- animals history. I'm standing here on Saturday night of the Keep the Coal in the Hole festival, the summer festival, for 2013. It sounds so futuristic saying 2013, I have to get used to saying that. And it's a beautiful, beautiful night, and there's sort of a babbling brook or stream or creek about uh, one, two, three, four, let's just say four metres down from me. It's on a bit of a steep bank, so it's about two, a good two, three metres or so uh, horizontal. But it's a beautiful noise, isn't it? Let's just listen to it under the moonlight and there's stars and a few clouds and the blue skies just going down, half moon and acoustic music being played behind us. So this is the beautiful background, and this is what we're here to try and protect. And with me, I have Tim Jones. How are you tonight, Tim? Well, I'm good tonight. Uh, funnily enough, I've been wearing my poet hat tonight for a little while, rather than my uh, collection network culture hat. And, perfect segue, you talked about the half moon. I read a poem about Half Moon Bay. Oh. Mm. <laughs> 
Uh, we just need, what is it, half moon spectacles on or something? Yeah, You've something got, like that. Got to keep it going. Granny glasses, yeah. Yeah, and it's a beautiful night. And this is my first time coming to the Coal in the Hole Festival. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't make it last time, but I interviewed Tim. And the way we did that was I rang uh, Tim as he was on a cell phone, and I was on Skype, and there was this noise. Yes, sorry, I'm not, I'm not doing my part very well. Halfway through the interview, I had to do this because it started raining. So I did half the interview outside the tent, the other half inside the tent. So there's the classic sound of a zip going up yeah, and down. That's right. You can't beat that in, in sound effects foley, you know. It's yeah, like kind of right. I'm actually thinking of sort of selling that to commercial radio. Sorry about that, Jeff, but yeah. I get this one royalty free though, right? Oh yeah, you get this one royalty. On the house. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and it's, it looks gorgeous and I was really glad to see the new Vale mine, which I'd never really seen before. I think yeah. I, my family's from mining Ojai mines and things. And right. It's just, yeah, it was amazing to see that and to see the contractors that they hired, the goons. Yeah, and their yeah, bright yeah they're big on goon solid energy. They've got a good line in goons, or rather a bad line in goons. What yeah. have you heard about the briquette plant? Like, I know it's been delayed. I've known that for a while, but can you tell me a little bit more? Have you heard well, anything? Well, this is, well, the facts that we know is that the briquette, so just to give the background, solid energy um, have four plants in their, in their plan to dig up ultimately billions of tonnes of south and lignite and turn it into various things and release a lot of greenhouse gas emissions along the way. That's, uh, that's the context and that's why we're opposed to it along with the local environmental effects. So the first of those plants which they have built is a very small plant by the standard of the other ones they plant. It's called their pilot briquetting plant. Briquetting is the process of taking lignite which has got a lot of moisture, it's a low grade dirty brown coal. Some coal experts, that shouldn't even be called coal, it's more like peat. Um, and you squeeze some of the water out to give a slightly higher value product that could burn a bit more brightly. That's higher value from solar energy's point of view. <laughs> um, they built this plant using a process that had only been used once before, a, a plant in North Dakota. And it was meant to be opening, I believe, in July. It's, or it was meant to be operating. It still is not operating six months later. And... Um, we have heard, well in fact Solid Energy admitted in the Southland Times this week, they said that they were keen to get the plant operating. I'd probably recast that headline as, we have failed for six months to get the plant operating. You see, I'm very mean to Solid Energy. <laughs> um, and apparently they're now waiting for overseas experts to help them out. Now that, combined with the fact that we know that some of the delays to the plant were caused by reasonably serious health and safety issues. Uh, we're talking about things like having to redo the double the lighting in the plant because of the level of dust, and redo a lot of the wiring because it was found not to be safe. That's what we understand to be the case. Solid Energy hasn't helpfully sent us a letter detailing all that, but that's the word we've heard. We also understand that at least one person, and I should say that this plant, after all this fanfare from Solid Energy about jobs, this plant was supposed to employ a magnificent total of six people. Uh, at least one of those people, maybe two, has walked away from the job there because of concerns about health and safety. So I would be a bit nervous if I was somebody working in that plant. I can't put chapter and verse on it because it's only what we've heard, but you know how the word spreads around and that's what we've heard. So solid energy have got big problems and I think that it raises the question, if they can't even build a little plant employing six people, uh, we don't want them to build those other plants, but even if they went ahead, uh, what would be the chances that they worked properly or were safe or met solid energy's claims? Well, I, I always think like we can't quite see the moon right now. It's just been covered over by sort of a smoggy layer of cloud. Might be thanks to our friends at Solid Energy. 
It's a bit dirty over there where it was before. Um, but in 1969, you know, we put a man, well, we put a couple men on the moon. And yet they can't sort of, I don't get quite what's so difficult about squeezing it, but it's having all kinds of combustion problems. And someone was saying, Robert Guyton of Environment South was saying something that they shipped a whole bunch of truckloads of the stuff there to use and then they couldn't use and they had to ship it back and bury it down a mine or something. Oh, you know, that's new. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, Yeah, he was saying someone oh, on the Board yeah. District Council told him. Dancing. I have to say there's now dancing going on in the background. Impressive. And prancing, yeah. yeah. Sort of medieval and style. Prancing, yeah. yeah. And I am missing the dancing and prancing to talk to you, Jordan. I just Thank want to, to tell the listeners about my dedication. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'll wrap it up very quickly. No, no, so no, 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 no. It, well, I was just trying to blow my own trumpet, not trying to wrap the interview up. <laughs> Well, it just sounds crazy. I mean, I wouldn't think it was so difficult, but when I when I visited the building, when I was driving down the highway, I said, oh, to my friend, my partner, Jenny, who's just moved down here, oh, that's the MDF plant. They make sort of not-so-great-quality wood. I'm yeah. a woodworker. That's not-so-great-quality wood. And what the hell is that? And just yeah. all this stainless steel and fancy flutes and boilers. And it's quite massive for whatever it does, and yet it doesn't do anything. Yeah, well, it's a white elephant, which is why on Friday, you may have already told your listeners about that. Fortunately, I was still trans... I, I was picking up some speakers from the airports. So I wasn't here at the time. But um, there was a little presentation at, by people who were here at the festival at the plant where they presented uh, local produce, and I believe they presented some flowers, and they presented a bag of mothballs because that's what the plant deserves to be. It deserves to be mothballed. What would... Coal, uh, the Coal Action Network Aotearoa's ultimate goal be? What would we well, like to see? Well, our goal is to phase out coal mining in New Zealand by 2027. You might be wondering why 2027? <laughs> That's because we've looked at the permits for mines that are existing at the moment, and we're taking a baseline from now. That's when we think the existing mines will have stopped. So we're not calling for new coal mines to be closed. Sorry, sorry, we are going for new coal mines. We're not calling for existing coal mines as they are to be closed right away. We're not calling for hundreds of miners and coal workers to be thrown out of their jobs, as Solid Energy has recently done. What we are saying, we don't want to see expansion to existing mines. We don't want to see new coal mines. And the reason for that, and there's lots of, lots of reasons to be opposed to coal mining, including very serious local environmental and health effects. And those effects are very real and particularly important to people living in the area of the mine. But on a national level, our main reason for opposing is that if here and around the world we dig up and burn all or even a substantial fraction of the coal that's in the ground, we will have ruined our climate to the point where we can no longer maintain our present civilization. It's uncertain whether we can maintain any civilization. <laughs> Uh, faced with that problem, faced with the growing bad news about climate change, uh, there's a, I don't know if you talked to Gareth Renaudin, who's uh, there's a speaker here who can uh, who can be much more scary than I can about climate change because he's up with all the latest research. But every year, the news from the Arctic, from the atmosphere, from extreme weather events, from record hot temperatures in Australia, from fires, from floods from hurricanes, from superstorms, the news just keeps on getting worse and yet here in this country where we have so many options and in this province where we have so many other options for employment, we're talking about digging up 4,000 hectares of the country's most productive farmland to get at low quality coal underneath. We think it's crazy, we think it has to stop.
Well, thank you very much for your time, Tim, because I think as, as a vegan group, we're all about looking after the animals, and it's lovely to see the moon and the moths and yeah. all the lovely animals, the bubbling brook or creek or stream yeah. behind us, the lovely, well, before it's Mighty Quinn, which I believe is a Bob yeah. Dylan song, covers of Bob Dylan music. Yeah, it is a, yeah. And down there, there's a, a sign that says Wildlife Sanctuary, no shooting, and I just imagine all the sort of Alma Fudd-style hunters saying, oh, rats, yeah, I can't I think there's a pond out. down there, eh? Yeah, yeah there's all yeah. sorts of lovely animals, and yeah. so, yeah, we want to protect all our environment. So thank you very much yeah. for what you're doing. Thank you for the tent noises, yes. and I wish Co-Action Network, as I fumble for the zip too. Oh, well done. All the best. Thank yeah. you, Tim. Thank you. So Jenny and myself attended the Coal in the Hole Festival, and we had all kinds of fun making havoc, because a lot of the people against the awful coal mining that's proposed to buy up farmers' productive dairy land and blow it up and try and get at the, quote, minerals beneath it, dirty, filthy brown coal, called lignite. And the farmers aren't happy about that, and environmentalists aren't happy about that, and part of the people who fall under the banner of environmentalists are vegans, because we care about all the animals who could be living on that land. So, we had vegan t-shirts on for much of the event, so everyone knew there were those pesky vegans there, and we got a, a few comments. It was all tongue-in-cheek. It was all friendly. They all seemed to, to like us, even though the dairy farmers might not 100% agree with us, the beef, beef and, and sheep and dairy farmers. Um, and I had to give a presentation along with Cindy Baxter, and it was about social media and how things worked. And I was tapped by someone as being good at technology, and they asked very politely if I'd help them out with this talk. And I said, well, I'm not really an expert. And they said, you're an expert in social media? Sure, come right this way. And I'm like, well, I'll do it if you want me to, but... Uh. And as you're here, Jen and myself got to introduce ourselves as belonging to... Well, you're soon here. I'm Jenny Stone, uh, Invercargill, recent immigrant to Invercargill, and member of the Invercargill Vegan Society. Hi, I'm Jordan White of the Invercargill Vegan Society, and apparently a social media expert. So, <laughs> <laughs> so going to environmental and green-related things is a great way to talk about veganism, because the people in attendance are perhaps more likely to be interested in veganism, and you can soon make it the topic of discussion just by wearing a vegan shirt or just someone asks who you are and you say, hey, I'm Jordan, I'm coming here from the Invercargill Vegan Society. Yeah, it's a great day, isn't it? Yeah, we love it at the Invercargill Vegan Society. Yeah, we love everything to do with the environment. Yeah, it's a great day. I hear the weather's quite good in Invercargill, you know, where we have the Invercargill Vegan Society, but I'm sure it's lovely in Gore here too. Like, it seems to be nice weather here as well. And um, I'm not sure if there's a Gore Vegan Society, but in Invercargill, did you know? We have an Invercargill Vegan Society in Invercargill. Yes, we do have an Invercargill Vegan Society in Invercargill. It's really fun. So you can meet really great people. It's great to network and social network, media, whatever it's called, whatever I'm an expert in. And you meet uh, MPs for the Green Party as well, including Gareth Hughes. And I've known before that he's vegetarian. And after the vegan option had that great episode about their vegan MPs in the UK, I wanted to ask him how many vegan MPs we had in New Zealand. Um. Okay, so I'm standing in the rain here at Dollamore Park with Gareth Hughes, a Green MP. How are you today, Gareth? Yeah, fantastic. Uh, pretty wet, pretty cold, uh, pretty southland. Some quality rain, though. There's no acid in it yet until, yeah. you know, the coal plant's going to do something like that. Uh, it loves it. it. It charges the batteries, probably. And I just wanted to ask you, Gareth, do you know if there are any vegans or vegetarians in, in Parliament right now in New Zealand? Well, I'm not aware of any vegans. Um, I'm aware of a number of lacto-ovo... Greenies, uh, 
in fact, about a quarter of our caucus is vegetarian. I know there's a couple of other vegetarian members in the other parties. I know last term there were only, I think, five vegetarians in the New Zealand Parliament, three Greens, two from other parties. Now there's a lot more because the Greens have, I think we've got four or five vegetarians. Awesome. That's awesome to see us being represented. And um, our friends at the Vegan Option in, in the UK, uh, Diane and Ian, um, they can still boast having three vegans, and I'm really glad to see that we've got more vegetarians here. So thank you for everything you're doing, and I'll keep voting green, and we'll, well keep voting green and get more MPs 650 in. got to remember 650 members in the UK Parliament, so if we had that many, I'm sure we'd have a lot more veggies and vegans. <laughs> thank you very much, Gary. I mentioned the vegan option, and that's a fantastic show about why everyone must be vegan, where you'll find at theveganoption.org. But there's also another great English podcast, and that's The Species Barrier. You can find them on Facebook. Just search for The Species Barrier. Ruth from The Species Barrier was kind enough to become the 100th person to support my new Facebook page, Vegans Love Marmite. New Zealand Marmite is very different from the UK variety, the black yeasty spread you put on toast. New Zealand Marmite is dark black, not their kind of light middle brown. And our stuff is made by the health food company Sanitarium. Theirs is made by Unilever and they test on animals, even though it does carry the v, uh, the, the UK Vegetarian Society um, sticker on the back, or their logo anyway. And so they'll be making royalties off there. They're like, eh, Unilever tests on animals. Well, it's technically vegetarian. We'll get money by them selling the stuff. We'll get a 2% cut of everyone sold or whatever it works out to be, <laughs> so they're cool with it. Um, I see I've made myself a lot of friends at the UK Vegetarian Society, so uh, hi everyone at the UK Vegetarian Society, please don't kick me out of the country if I visit. Um, so, Sanitarium here who make New Zealand Marmite, it's not tested on animals, Sanitarium is owned and operated by the Seventh-day Adventist religious group, who have the great uh, weekly vegetarian cooking classes, well actually vegan cooking classes here in Invercargill, they're fantastic people, and Sanitarium, the company, makes so, um, so good brand soy milk, and they make Sanitarium vegan burger patties and sausages and soy ice cream, it's a fantastic company. Marmite is fantastically well known here in New Zealand, everyone buys it, and I like to have it in my sandwiches each workday. Nice fresh bread, lettuce, tomato, red onion, and a thick black spread of Marmite. It's the lunch of champions, I tell you. Except, Marmite hasn't been available since March 2012. An earthquake destroyed the Marmite factory. True story. And ever since then, I've had to deal with crappy Australian-made Vegemite. Nothing against our Australian friends, it's just... Vegemite's pretty crappy compared to New Zealand Marmite. It's just not, not the same at all. It really is terrible. Dark brown instead of lovely black and completely different flavour. So it sounds a bit like New Zealand's a somewhat of a third world nation right about now though, right? Some punk earthquake shows up and boom! All of a sudden the country is without a national treasure. For comparison, just so you can understand how important Marmite is to New Zealanders... It would be a bit like a thunderstorm stealing all the guns in America, or all the heat in Australia being blown away by a stiff breeze and not coming back for a year or so. It really is, you know, we've got to get all hands on deck and fix the Marmite factory, the one factory in this whole country that can make Marmite. <laughs> when vegetarian promoting company Sanitarium, they resume Marmite production soon in a new factory, 
We hope that they will label Marmite vegan on the back. Just having those five letters, V-E-G-A-N, vegan, on the label, will be such a triumph to New Zealand vegans, a sign that we've made it in the mainstream. Everyone buys Marmite, and while not everyone looks at labels, because it's so difficult to look at labels, remember, we know that it's there. Each week when we buy more Marmite at the supermarket, we can roll the jar over to the back and see vegan on the label. And we'd know that we'd signed up, we'd clicked like, on the Vegans Love Marmite Facebook page, and the change had occurred through our campaign. Please support us. It only takes a like on Facebook. 110 people have clicked like on the Vegans Love Marmite page. That's spelt M-A-R-M-I-T-E. Vegans love Marmite. And like Ruth from The Species Barrier, it'd be wonderful if you'd join us. The Vegan Option and The Species Barrier. Fantastic listening. Oh, last episode, I mentioned that The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, spoke about the elves being vegan. Here's the clip from the movie, where we can find out that the elves only eat green stuff, and that you can protest, where's the meat, all you like, to no avail. So the elves are vegan. Yay! What is he saying? Does he offer us insult? No, Master Gloyd, he's offering you food. Ah, well, in that case, lead on. Try it. Just a mouthful. I don't like green food. Where's the meat? Well, the elves might be vegan, the kinds of vegan who ride horses. And horses have made the news recently, what with up to 30% of tested beef samples in Ireland containing horse flesh. As the song Master of the House, or Master of the House, as they say, from Les Miserables would say, especially when sung poorly by Borat. Food beyond compare, food beyond belief. Mix it in a mincer and pretend it's beef. Kidney off a horse, liver off a cat. Filling up the sausages with this and that. And now, to cover the shocking story of non-vegan burgers being non-vegan, over to reporter on the scene, Professor Roger Yates of Vegan Ireland. So, hey Jordan, how are you? It's good to be invited to take part in your first 
uh, podcast of 2013 of your wonderful uh, show existing with co-inhabiting animals uh, mm. is that is that right not quite but close enough oh. close enough okay well anyway it's still great to be able to talk to you down there in Invercargill, Australia. So hey, 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 hey. Uh, Invercargill, New Zealand. Okay. Thank you. Now, on the horses, yes, we've had some peculiar press coverage uh, in the last uh, few weeks in Ireland and also in England because horse DNA was found in some beef burgers. This caused quite a stir, as you may Im- imagine, so... Vegan Island immediately released a press, a press release saying, wow, you know, dead animals found in beef burgers, you know, what a shock. And of course, what's really going on is that it's not be- that there's dead animals in beef burgers, because that's a given, it's the fact that it's the wrong type. And so that reminded me of a time when I did some research in 2001 about horse maiming or horse ripping, which is attacking horses in fields. And we developed at the time, when I say we, that's uh, myself, uh, Professor Chris Powell, and also Professor Piers Byrne, we developed um, the issue of um, rightness and wrongness, or wrong person, wrong place, etc. So I just wanted to just read you uh, a little section of a um, publication that we had in 2001, which goes like this. There are circumstances in which human beings are permitted to injure and kill horses and other non-human animals, and, indeed, they are often rewarded for doing so. What we have seen, however, seems to go beyond legitimate circumstances. The horse-ripping attacks in which crime-deviance categories come to be invoked apparently involved the wrong person, the wrong place, the wrong reasons, the wrong intentions, the wrong methods, the wrong time, and the wrong targets. The hand-wringing engaged with the pursuit of explanation for such deviance, theoretically, might lead us to inquire more broadly into the ways in which humans use other animals. In practice, it seems to distract us from making and asking such a question. The rest of the paper, therefore, problematizes the rightness of person, place, reason, method, time and target. In the remaining section, we have, in no particular order, attempt to identify various situations in which undoubted routine and systematic suffering and harm is caused to many horses. Okay, so that leads into the rest of the paper. So the interesting thing was that there was an echo of that in the recent Irish case, that people were up in arms, as it were. I mean, they talked about a labelling issue, but they were up in arms essentially because the wrong animals ended up in their beef burgers. Cows equal beef. In Ireland, horses mean riding and racing. It was the wrong animal. This is Roger Yates reporting for Jordan Wyatt. Of co-inhabiting with the animals that aren't quite human but are just as equal and we should live alongside them. Thanks Roger. Thanks a lot. (laughs) You can find him on Facebook at on human-non-human relations, and the easier to understand and spell, Vegan Ireland, which I understand is a suburb of London, but that's not the whole Facebook thing to search for. It's just Vegan Ireland on Facebook. Skipping over the pond now, here's Barbara DeGrand of Animal Rights and Rescue, North Texas. 
A-R-R-N-T, has a logo featuring a beautiful black horse. Think of the Ferrari logo. Volunteering in an animal shelter, Barbara sees firsthand how we treat other animals which we own. It's not easy being a horse in Texas where the summers are very hot and often the winters can be icy cold. One of the first calls we received when we started Animal Rights and Rescue was from a woman who was trying to save some horses from dying of thirst and after she was helped and linked with assistance we heard of another group of horses who had been left on their own without supervision on an automatic sprinkling system while the owner was out of town and had succumbed because the well in the sprinkler system had gone dry. There are also roundups here that gather up wild horses and send them off to slaughter. And due to the economic downturn, many people cannot afford their horses, and so even more horses are at risk of going to slaughter. When I was younger, I grew up in the California horse racing scene, um, spent a lot of time on the racetrack and at a ranch that my father owned where some of the recovering horses would stay. So I got to see the horses at length. And I could see firsthand that not only was racing a cruel sport, because the animals were so commodified, but their welfare often came second to the almighty dollar. In fact, I found out in later life that even some of the most noble and famous horses, such as the 1986 Kentucky Derby winner Ferdinand, was uh, later sold into uh, for breeding and then sold again and ultimately ended up at a slaughterhouse. And while I think that is a disgusting practice, it's equally disgusting for every other horse, whether it's a wild horse or a former companion horse or just a horse that's down on his luck that ends up in a slaughterhouse. And it's no different for the cows or the goats or the pigs or the chickens. But here in Texas, the horse is considered a symbol of our our countryside and our our proud state and it seems even more unjust that people treat them so dismally. So thank you for talking about the horse, Jordan. No worries, Barbara. Thank you for doing what you do in North Texas there. And you can find Barbara DeGrand at veganacious.com. Vegan, A-C-I-O-U-S. But New Zealand is no haven for horses either. Nearby in the town of Gore, we have the only horse slaughterhouse which exports for human consumption. Sure, there's probably lots of horse slaughterhouses in New Zealand which kill nice horses for non-vegan cat food, but this one, Clover Exports, kills horses for human consumption, horse meat. Their bodies are cut up and sent to Europe. When Jen and myself visited Gore for the Coal in the Hole Festival, we drove to the horse slaughterhouse to see it for ourselves. I'm here sleeping on an airbed, a double-size airbed, in a tent. Hey, I could be a DJ. Just have to think of a good DJ name uh, when I'm scratching those vinyl records. I think that's how they used to do it back in the day before MP3 and all that. And the stars and the babbling brook. And acoustic music. And next to me is my partner, Jen Stone. How are you today, Jen? Good. Good, you, thanks, Jordan. Are you going to tell me that it's not actually day? It's kind of like... 
it's kind of night. It feels like about 9.30 at night. 9.30? It's 10.40. 10. Well, there we go. 10, 20, 20. Min 20 minutes to 11 at night. And the stars are out and the moon's out. and It's rather nice. Would you like to talk about what we did today, Jen? Mm, not really, no. <laughs> Too bad. So today we had further activism. We had lovely talks. We had nice porridge for um, breakfast. Had sort of apple or cinnamon or something through it. I'm Definitely not quite sure. Yeah, I thought I sort of had like strains of apple in there or something. And they but catered for our vegan needs with soy milk as well. And it was good. It was signature range, which is normally like the budget countdown one. It's probably made, made in Australia, right? So Australian listeners mm, will know. Australian, maybe. Yeah. So hey, everyone in Australia, um, Clark, I so I like Clark that. and Kate and everyone else and Jeff. And yeah, it's um, signature range, the countdown brand, Walrus Countdown. And it says organic, right? Even though it's like one of the cheapest ones, it's organic. Mm, that's amazing. It's only two dollars something at the countdown supermarket. Two dollars thirty, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so it's the cheapest by far. And so there are vegan options here, but we prefer to make our own. And I've been living a lot on nice fresh bread with sort of bitten off bits of banana all pressed throughout it. And we bought some nice um, Pix peanut butter. It's made in Nelson from. Uh, peanuts from Argentina, so we got nice peanut butter to rely on. And where did we go for dinner tonight, Jen? In Gore, oh. by the way, in the nearby town of Gore. We went for a date to an Indian restaurant in Gore, and we had pakoras and samosa and what was that other one? We had potato and peas. What was it called? Alu mata. Something mata? like that. Yeah. Alu mata. That sounds good. Yeah, and it was very, very nice, right by the Gore Brown Freshwater Trail. <laughs> Sam Jordan ate most of it, so I had to get another one. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it's meant to be. <laughs> and do you want to talk about the place we visited before that? Hmm, what was that? I think we should. Oh, I decided no. the oh. place I wanted to visit, oh. two minutes drive away, I'd, I wanted to see it for about, about a year when I made the blog post, was a horse slaughterhouse. Mm. And so they kill horses there. They kill racehorses there. Um, there's a there's a link in the blog to a New Zealand Herald story explaining how they find newborn horses and they're meant to be thoroughbred stock. And oh, the legs a bit bent. We'll give it time to see if that pops back out. But no. And they also talk about pet horses and um, lifestyle blocks and all that. When the horse gets too big, when the horse starts demanding a cell phone and all that kind of stuff. They say it's time for this horse to move out of home. And the horse goes to live from the farm. The horse goes to live on a farm somewhere, they tell the kids. And that mm. farm happens to be called Clover Exports Limited. Which is a lovely name. Clover's a beautiful name. Well, it's a name from Animal Farm, which is mm. the founding book of the, you know, the Cargill Vegan Society. All animals are equal is our slogan that we stole from them. Just like the other Orwell stuff. And Clover's the partner of Boxer, the strong, proud horse who saves the day and is always noble and works hard. Like the proletariat rising up against the bureaucracy and the government and the, yeah, and the pigs and the humans. And so Clover is the female horse, the older horse that loves Boxer very much. And so, yeah, it is a weird name. And the logo is um, sort of a map of New Zealand and sort of the Union Jack, the British flag. So I'm guessing the British are to, involved to some extent. Maybe they own it and we just send them the killed horses, we send them over, and apparently Belgium and Russia are the biggest, well, growing markets from the Herald article. So it was pretty weird and scary to see that, right? We saw the horses outside the slaughterhouse and the, and the paddocks outside. Yeah, we drove past the horses at first and kind of wondered if they had something to do with the slaughterhouse. 
and then driving away from it I could see more where the fence lines went and we worked out that definitely they were to do with the slaughterhouse and they'll be waiting um, their turn I suppose so we stopped and and um, actually walked out to the side of the fence line and the horse was so friendly and beautiful that I've always loved horses and they're, you know they're just such majestic beautiful animals and a lot of them came up to the fence line to say hello. They were just absolutely awesome. They really were, and we saw how there was a dirt track behind the electric fences with uh, hoof marks. Mm. <laughs> and it, and, and it, yeah, it's a straight line to the stockyards, and then they go up the chute, and there'll be the captive bolt, and, and the throat slitting and all that. And yeah, and they actually processed these ones for human consumption. When we stopped at a supermarket here in Gore, a countdown, we um, not only saw the cheap soy milk, which is also signature range um, organic, uh, we also saw Jimbo brand cat food, and the economy one is, of course, horse meat, and it says horse meat on the side of it. So we do kill, quote-unquote, old horses for pet food here. You know, oh, he's dog tucker, dog food, cat food. But we also kill them and export them um, overseas. And apparently, according to the article, the Herald, they actually send the horses down from the North Island as well, because this is the only slaughterhouse that caters all demand for sending horse meat for human consumption so it's it's kind of weird you think if businesses are booming they'd be killing them out of the North Island but apparently not it's crazy hey? so they're trucking, trucking them over on the inter-islander boat yeah. yeah so they go between the islands I'm guessing wow. and um, yeah it's all it's all very weird but we have a lot to be thankful of too, like we have the amazing Google Maps on our iPhones now, and so it was giving us navigation instructions, which was very cool. Mm. Turn left, 200 metres, actually there's a female voice, do you want to do the female voice? Oh, I'm not good at voices, American accent though. Come on. And Make up a GPS navigation <laughs> voice. Turn left, 200 metres. No, no, I'm no. Crack she, at it. I'm crack. She was totally I'm sexier crack. and more refined than that. Exactly. Turn left, 200 metres. Yes, yes, it's softer voice. Yes. Not so robotic, Jen. <laughs> Jen. <laughs> There's a reason why I didn't want to do the voice, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you just wanted me to make silly noises. Yeah. But so. very handy, that's great. You don't need to buy one of those TomTom -tom things. You just uh, use your uh, phone. It was excellent and we trusted it with our lives. And mm. we just put in the coordinates for, it was one river road or something like that. What a beautiful... What a beautiful address, One River Road or something mm. like that. It's River Road or River Lane or whatever. One River Road for the slaughterhouse of horses. And it's called Clover Exports Limited, you know. They mm. sound so beautiful. And you'd never come across it. I mean, you have to know how to find it. Down a little bit of a gravel road. But it's only like 700 metres a kilometre from a friggin' football field. So there'll be, you know, the dads on the sidelines. Oh, come on, ref, my son totally didn't foul that little boy when he... Kicked him in the head repeatedly after he'd fallen over, and then he kicked him some more. Um, every Saturday morning, when they're going there and yelling at their poor sons and yelling at the ref and just wishing they were out in the field instead, um, mm. like a like a young Roger Yates in his purple shorts. Mm. Ask him about that story sometime. It's charming, um, and about the number on on the number on his back of his football um, football top, football jumper. Would they say in the UK? I'm not sure. Um, yeah, it's amazing to think that they have a horse slaughterhouse less than a kilometre away from that. So we're here in this lovely tent. The moon's out over here. We've seen the mines. We've seen the briquette plant. 
Um, we've heard really inspiring speakers. They let some idiot talk about social media. Yeah, and he wouldn't let me listen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's just some idiot. They just. Uh. He assured me that he would record it for me, of course, but then he forgot. You know how I hate recording interviews and stuff, Jen? <laughs> I never do that. I could never do that. I can't figure these things out, you know. Right. Too difficult. Um, so we're here in a lovely tent. It's wonderful, blue and silver, under the stars, under the moon, under the clouds, that beautiful brook. Let's listen to it. Ugh, where's the bloody mute switch for that thing, huh? It's going to be hard to sleep with all this crap in the background. It's my favourite noise. It's like a white noise generator. Actually, actually last night we had rain as well. So it was um, double sound effects of water, water therapy. It's great. <laughs> well, thank you for coming to, with me to the Keep the Coal in the Hole Festival, Summer Festival of 2013, Jen. It was really cool. Thank mm. you for coming with me. It was really cool to be with you and to be with the clouds, to be with the brook, to be with everyone else. And, and it's not even over yet. We've got another day, which is awesome. Exactly. And we're going to make the most of that day. Yeah. So thank you, Jen. Thanks, Jordan. You can see our visit to this horse slaughterhouse, Clover Exports, on my blog, Coexisting with Non-Human Animals, coexisting.co.nz, where you'll see photos and a video of the horses waiting outside in the paddocks just before the slaughterhouse. And please, like us on Facebook, Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. Now, to end on a positive story. We recently saw the children's animated film, Bee Movie, and thought it was excellent in its animal rights message. What right do we have to take honey away from bees? None. Here are some clips from Bee Movie, starring the guy from Seinfeld. According to all known laws of aviation, there is no way that a bee should be able to fly. Its wings are too small to get its fat little body off the ground. The bee, of course, flies anyway. Because bees don't care what humans think is impossible. Kill him? You know I'm allergic to them! This thing could kill me! Well, why does his life have any less value than yours? Why does his life have any less value than mine? Is that your statement? I'm just saying all life has value. You don't know what he's capable of feeling. My brochure. resume brochure. It's not funny. My whole face could pop up. Hmm. Make it one of your special... It was. How did you know? Uh, I like about 10 pages. 75 is pretty much our limit. Boy, you've really got that down to a science. Oh, we have to. I lost a cousin to Italian Vogue. <laughs> I'll bet. What in the name of mighty Hercules is this? How did this get here? Cute bee. Golden Blossom. Ray Liotta Private Select. You see that actor? I never heard of him. Why is this here? For people. We eat it. Why? You don't have enough food of your own? Well, yes. How do you even get it? Well, bees make it. I know who makes it. And it's hard to make it. There's heating and cooling and stirring. You need a whole crowning thing. It's organic. It's organic. It's just honey, Barry. Just 
What? Bees don't know about this. This is stealing. A lot of stealing. You've taken our homes, our schools, our hospitals. This is all we have. And it's on sale? I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I'm going to get to the bottom of all of this. trickery here. I'm just an ordinary bee. And as a bee, honey's pretty important to me. It's important to all bees. We invented it. We make it. And we protect it with our lives. Unfortunately, there are some people in this room who think they can take whatever they want from us because we're the little guys. And what I'm hoping is that after this is all over, you'll see how by taking our honey, you're not only taking away everything we have, but everything we are. Oh, I wish he would dress like that all the time. So nice. Call your first witness. So, Mr. Klaus Vanderhaden of Honey Farms. Pretty big company you have there. I suppose so. And I see you also own Honeybird and Hunron! Yes, they provide beekeepers for our farms. Beekeeper? I find that to be a very disturbing term, I have to say. I don't imagine you employ any bee freers, do you? Uh, no. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. N no. No. Because you don't free bees. You keep bees. And not only that, it seems you thought a bear would be an appropriate image for a jar of honey. Well, they're very lovable creatures. A yogi bear, fozzy bear, build a bear. Yeah, you mean like this. Bears kill bees. How would you like his big hairy head crashing through your living room, biting into your couch, spitting out your throw pillows? Rawr, rawr. Okay, that's enough. Take him away. It is be approved. Oh, don't forget these. Milk, cream, cheese, it's all me. And I don't see a nickel. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Sometimes I just feel like a piece of meat. I had no idea. Barry, I'm sorry, have you got a moment? Would you excuse me? My mosquito associate here will be able to help you. Sorry I'm late. He's a lawyer too? Ma'am, I was already a blood-sucking parasite. All I needed was a briefcase. Have a great afternoon. Barry. I just got this huge tulip order for a wedding and I can't get them anywhere. No problem, Fanny. Just leave it to me. You're a lifesaver, Barry. Can I help who's next? Who's next? All right. I'm the cargo after being away at the Colin Hall Festival. And while it was nice to sleep on an airbed inside of a tent, sometimes it's good to be home on a queen-size bed inside of a house in Invercargill. And Jen and I have moved into our new home together and it's wonderful living here with the hen friends in the back and the sunshine out the front. And Jen has a particular movie she really loves. Oh yes, that's B-Movie. And what happens in B-Movie? Well in B-Movie we learn about how honey is made, the real truth of honey, and um, we learn about how honey is being taken from bees and used for humans for the gain of humans, and um, bees get quite irate about this. It's quite a strange movie in that it's got so explicit a vegan message you'd think, right? I mean, it's by Jerry Seinfeld and he's not... He's not vegan, but it's a very explicit go vegan movie in a lot in so many ways. I mean, who would think that the bees would feel so strongly about their honey? Of course, we know they do with the smoke, smoke guns and all the beekeeper suits and all that. Um, they kind of a stinger. They kind of like protecting it. But what non-vegan would consider making a blockbuster movie about bees not wanting us to take their honey, right? It's... I thought it was fantastic, and it points out that you know bees have got just as much right to live as everybody else, which That's... is fantastic. 
That sounds like a direct quote from the movie almost. You've seen it a few times. <laughs> well, it's my favourite movie. One of them. <laughs> yeah, one of them. Oh. I have to show you Silence of the Lambs. It'll be oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and of course, we've seen The Hobbit legally in a movie theatre together. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we paid for our tickets and it was lovely. And we felt very proud to support the New Zealand economy by seeing The Hobbit with paid movie tickets in a movie theatre. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. How, how big was the popcorn you bought me in the movie theatre? <laughs> Super jumbo mega oh, size, one of those super I think. Super size ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah, super size me, she said. And so that was really fun, but we like B movie as well as The Hobbit. And it, what happens at the mm, almost the very last scene of the movie, there's a certain scene with another animal coming in. Yeah, well, because you see, the bees, the bees take this whole thing to court, and the bees, of course, win, and the bees end up producing um, honey um, for themselves, um, but then also they end up. Um, being advocates for other animals and so in the final scene of the movie we see a dairy cow and she's complaining about the treatment that she's been receiving and she complains that she just feels like a piece of meat and that we're taking it's not so much about the treatment but that the use itself and it's so explicit that this movie and having a talk of rights that mm. they say organic instead of <laughs> organic so that was quite a good way to see it that that honey belongs to the bees, that cow's milk always belongs to the cows and the bulls, because it's for the baby bulls as well, but it's made by the mother cow. And it's a great movie, and it was wonderful to see it with you, Jen. <laughs> and so now it's um, about 9 o'clock at night, and we've been having awful 30 degrees Celsius days here, hot as heck. It's Australian weather, it can go back to Australia, where they like it hot. And I'm looking forward to nice rainy overcast days, sort of Irish weather, and so that'll be really nice. But until then, I have to go outside and finish mowing the lawns at 9pm, where it's only a miserable, what is it, 20-something degrees? It's down to 27 degrees now. Inside? Mm -hmm. It's 27 degrees inside the house. And the sun's still up at 9pm. And, and that, that's with all the doors and windows open. <sighs> Natural air conditioning. We're trying to get some airflow. <laughs> so I'm going to have fun mowing the lawn. And meanwhile, I'd like to thank you for listening to episode 80 of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. Episode 80? Um, okay, past Jordan. Well, thank you everyone for listening to episode 80 of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. And thank you for listening to this, episode 90 of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. I'm sure the heat must have been scrambling my brain or something. And meanwhile, I'd like to thank you for listening to episode 80 of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. You can find all the links and the show notes and copies of B-Movie and Wikipedia and stuff at coexisting.co.nz and you can find the Invercargill Vegan Society at invsoc.org.nz That's I-N-V-S-O-C dot org dot N-Z Thank you very much for listening and have a happy day. Bye. Away from the notion of animals as things and toward the moral personhood of animals. The choice is ours. If you're not vegan, go vegan. It's easy. It's better for you. It's certainly better for the planet. And most importantly, it's the morally right thing to do.